0: Hello, and welcome to the Squiggly Animation Podcast. In this episode, we welcome Sylvie Trouvet and Dale Haywood, directors of Bone Mother. Boo! Ah. I brought out the old spooky music variant. That's so old, it's a variant on the version of the squiggly theme that we haven't actually used in like five years.
1: <laughs> Terrifying. It's
0: nice to be reminded of the bygone era of the squiggly podcast, where in my uh, foolhardy naivete, I figured throwing in some extra effort with the production would give us a big listenership surge. F- all. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, well, we do it because we love it.
1: Yes, indeed.
0: How are you in this, uh, on this halloween eve slash season slash whenever they're listening to this?
1: I'm absolutely uh, delighted to be right in the middle of probably the best time of year, which is you've got your Halloween, you've got bonfire night, you've got the clocks going back because that's the season. It's all happening, Ben, and it's, yeah, best time of year.
0: Tremendous, tremendous. I've been traipsing around a little bit with my new film, which is a little bit macabre. Um, it's been getting into like some, I guess, sort of thematic screenings, like mm-hmm. th- screenings about like animation, horror animation, or like you know grim animation. But I'm finding interestingly that the really hardcore horror festivals don't want it, and I think they think I'm making fun of their <laughs> beloved genre. Which I'm not, I'm not really, it's it's kind of a love letter. Yeah. But I don't know, I think because it has this very cartoony upfront presentation, that kind of, I didn't, maybe people don't even watch it enough to get to the horror bit, because I've certainly talked to some festival programmers who were like, yeah, if it's not good in 30 seconds, you know, I'm not going to waste my, the rest of my time with it.
1: Those festival programmers, I'm... We don't charge at math for entries, so we like a set of idiots watch every single film right <laughs> the way through, and it takes forever. Those yep. festival programmers are doing it right,
0: <laughs> he said enviously. <laughs> I have to say, I mean, I, 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 if maybe if I wasn't a filmmaker, I would be like that as well.
1: But imagine what you'd miss, though. I mean, imagine there's filmmakers like um, Peter Millard. So, like, if you're not into animation, you don't know who Peter Millard is. Um, and if you don't sit through his entire film, you've not got it really, no. have you? You've not really got the entire thing. But if you sit through the first ten seconds of his film and then turn it off, you've missed an entire, you've missed an absolute laugh, you know. Uh, so it it pays to watch the entire thing. But yeah, yeah I, I, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know. First thirty seconds of Sunscapades, they probably thought, oh, he's submitted this because there is a ghost in it.
0: Yeah, probably. Yeah, and yeah. What I found, actually, I've only just now started watching it with audiences. In, it's a long time since I finished it, but I didn't really see it with an audience until Encounters. And now I've seen it four times. And like with all films, it is interesting sort of seeing what gets a reaction versus what I thought would get a reaction. Whether it's sort of gasps of horror or people being, you know, uh, amused by it. And I didn't realize at the time, but I did the exact same thing with this film that I did with my last film, uh, Clementhro, which is a minute and a half of what the f*** am I looking at? (laughs) And then this incident happens, and then everyone's kind of on board with it from the incident. Yeah. And the incident in Clementhro is very minor. It just disrupts this repetition that happens for like the first minute and a half. But basically, I just think people laugh at it more because it's just not repeating itself after a certain point and it's almost like with this film when the thing happens that disrupts the tone of it completely everyone kind of relaxes a bit even though it's a horrible thing it's like oh okay we're not going to be sitting through like just kiddie shit for you know another 10 minutes or five minutes or whatever um and then they kind of they they loosen up a lot more about yeah. it because the first minute also is a bit cringe but that's kind of the point it's meant to be like a saturday morning cartoon
1: where's it i mean you're probably going to say this at the end of the podcast but it's screening quite a few places isn't it you've got animation frights coming up
0: uh that just happened oh right well back in time then but that went really well we'll talk about that a little bit more because uh, laura's going to be here mm-hmm. with us on the podcast uh, we saw quite a few really good films there that was uh, put together by friend O Squiggly, Danny Abram, who uh, really likes weird films, which is fortunate for me. It's a really, it was a, it went down really well. It was a really great way to bring animation and Halloween together. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was part of the anim Teen ongoing strand that's been happening. Yeah. And we went there. It was a chapter where the Cardiff Animation Festival uh, is held. And I think that same night, they were playing Curse of the Were-Rabbit. And it was one of those scratch and sniff Curse of the Were-Rabbits. Mm-hmm. Have you been to one of those?
1: No, we've got one the Sunday before Math, which is part of our family day. So we've got that coming along. And it was programmed, or it was created really, by um, Breno Callahan, who's based at home. That's fantastic fun. Did you go to the uh, Wallace and Gromit one?
0: Well, no, we um, we were having a drink. Uh, before the screening, and there were a bunch of the scratch and sniff cards. Some of them hadn't been scratched, so I think maybe they were, like, unused ones, but they were, like, on the tables. Right. So we just had a little scratch of the card. (laughs) This f***ing thing smells so bad. Whichever chemical terrorist put together these cards should be given an award or should be, you know, imprisoned. (laughs) <laughs> um, it was sort of amazing. Like Laura actually got a bit upset. <laughs> Not really. Well, there were also condiments on the table, so she was able to go and wash her hands with ketchup and vinegar because that was the <laughs> only way to get it out of her fingernails. There was one in particular. Like it was a, I think a kind of stinking bishop um, mm. replica, <laughs> and it really once he scratched it, it just permeated the air. Like, and you could. <laughs> so we had to like just like move away. From- the table uh so bravo uh, whoever put those together they were very very unpleasant
1: i think there's only a certain amount of smells that they can create and add to the scratch and sniff so Mm. i think a a lot of it's down to like they can just name them whatever they want so stinking bishop on this wallace and gromit card might be like say something absolutely horrendous (laughs) on another card yeah you know so Rotten drain pipes or whatever, you know. So it, 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 it they could
0: all be some kind of vomit, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like depending on what time of night it is, yeah.
1: yeah. Or as the night gets gets progressively worse and the drinks get progressively uh, more and more adventurous.
0: So yeah, that was a kind of uh, uh, a little glimpse into what else Animating have been doing. Mm-hmm. Elsewhere, it's going to be my film is going to be another horror esque or weird film. Screening at the London Animation Festival. Uh, but that's ages away. Uh, oh, it's going to play an Aberystwyth at a horror festival. I uh, I found out about, which uh, looks fun.
1: Oh, well, wow. cool. Is that, like, the most awkward place in the UK to get to?
0: Except if you want to get anywhere via fucking Bristol Parkway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Parkway is closed until, like, November. So yeah. I, you can't leave Bristol <laughs> wherever you go. So... <laughs> Uh, I don't know if Aberystwyth would be any easier or harder to get to. If any podcast listeners happen to be Aberystwyth adjacent, the festival is the Abattoir International Horror Festival of Wales, uh, which starts on the 13th of November. That's at abattoir.co.uk, And um, my film notwithstanding, it looks like there are lots of really, really fun films playing. If you're into your horror and your B-movies and uh, all of that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Spooky goings-on all over the place. Mm-hmm. This is sort of before we kind of uh, uh, move on to the interview stuff. Um, something that we should talk about. I think it would be a little bit remiss if we didn't. Uh, a couple of very sad passings away of prominent animators since the last episode of the podcast. Uh, one of whom has actually been a guest not that long ago, I don't think.
1: No, 2016.
0: Yeah, Roger Mainwood very sadly passed away.
1: It's a it's a great shame. um, Considering you know Roger had this uh, you know nice career in animation and and before before he left us, he left us with this fantastic film. Uh, You know, speaking about his work wise, you know Ethel and Ernest, which yeah, I think will is one of those films. uh, And I said it at the time; it's just a special film. It's absolutely wonderful. It's the way that it's written by um, Raymond Briggs and the way that the team at Lupus, which were led by Roger, put together the film itself created a masterpiece, a fantastic masterpiece. And that will, you know, forever stand as a, as a legacy to Roger. And I, I, I had the pleasure of meeting him a few times and he was always, it's easy to say this, oh, such a nice guy, such a nice guy, but just one of those very well-mannered and very considerate uh, guys. I interviewed him a a couple of times and he was also, was that okay? Was that enough questions? Is that enough questions? And then Mm -hmm. stuck around to talk afterwards rather than like getting up and then buggering off as quickly as possible, (laughs) you know, Um, and just really invested and interested in, you know, the art and the work that he was creating. If he followed his Ethel and Ernest blog, every single bit of that was just... He was just so excited to make this film, and it really came across in in his own words in the blog. Uh, when I when we had him uh, up at Manchester Animation Festival as well, he was his uh, usual really polite self, answering questions to everyone and explaining the film, and just having time for everyone. So it's a it's a great loss for the animation community, and um, you know it, 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 it's it's a terrible shame.
0: Mm. You can always tell when someone's made uh, a significant impact by the tributes that kind of pour in when they pass away. And absolutely, like I've seen so many people who worked on Ethel and Ernest and worked with him on other projects that all echo those sentiments, absolutely. I know some people who their first sort of major animation gig like uh, as far as like feature film animation was ethel and Ernest, and Mm. you know they were really very very positively affected by the experience and uh yeah i'm uh, i'm sad to have not really properly met him
1: Hmm. luckily for for animators and this is something i always go back to when an animator or somebody dies it but they've got that lasting legacy that you know amazing uh tribute to all their skills and efforts in the shape of the films that they create and it's you know it's 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 sad that they go but it's it's great that we have that lasting reminder and um yeah i think if, if people want to listen back to the the podcast that um that Roger was on uh they should do because you know you, you get an impression as to uh how nice a
0: bloke he was mm-hmm. and if you haven't yet seen Ethel and Ernest um what the hell are you playing at exactly <laughs> I mean, we we know we we said ad nauseum uh, at the time how much uh, an impressive film it was. I mean, we could only sort of repeat that sentiment. It, uh, it is tremendous. So a fantastic piece of work to have. So that's uh, if you want to listen back, it's podcast sixty one.
1: So um, yeah, that's an interview with uh, with
0: Mister Roger Mainwood, who will be uh, sadly missed. Another sadly missed animator, someone who's passing away, has has also been very sort of heavily felt within the industry. Uh, someone who we actually never did have on the podcast. I uh, will forever kick myself for not getting my uh, self into gear and and trying to get that to happen. Is Will Vinton. Mm. Uh, I had even when I was uh, redesigning the podcast uh, <laughs> metadata. Uh, album cover windows that come with the mp3s i had done one for him oh right but then never actually you know got my shit together and and reached out the thing is at the end of the day he had not produced new work but i was always sort of like waiting for an anniversary or something to come along Mm. that would kind of you know make sense and, and bring him on like when we talk about stuff like the yellow submarine or things that we love and would talk about whenever but if we can time it with something that makes more sense, you know?
1: We've had some lengthy conversations about Wilvington's work on this podcast. And I think Mm. for, for me, you know, I think it were very early, uh, conversations that we had when we were talking about, well, comic quest or the adventures of Mark Twain, as it's sometimes known as. And, um, those were conversations that I'd never had with anyone else, Ben, because I didn't know anyone else who'd seen Will Vinton's work. Yes, I'm, I'm into animation now. I'm an adult and everyone's seen it and it's been on Annecy a few times. And, you know, it's great to see that work, but I'd not really um, shared that conversation. So it's it's great to know that work like that brings people together as well and the shared common interest uh, and, you know, just a marvel at the, at the work that he created as well. Hmm. He's the guy that created, uh, you know, claymation You know, he coined the phrase
0: Yeah He could do these, these films that were like They'd be so cute and charming And then these things would happen in them That would suddenly turn them kind of nightmarish And it's sort of hard to describe There was a kind of level of grotesquerie that he would just casually throw in there. <laughs> uh, one that really left a mark, and maybe this is one we've talked about, was the Michael Jackson video he did. Yes. Not so much the video, like, but before the whole stuff with him as, as the rabbit on the motorcycle, but when he's being hounded by these kind of malformed claymation fans, like a hard day's night kind of thing, they're chasing him down the street, or he's in a studio lot or something. Yeah. These people in these awful costumes, and then <laughs> cut to them as claymation people with these awful, like terrifying, savage faces, <laughs> like chasing him, and that that stuff was fantastic. I mean, yeah, the the Mark Twain film. I remember being a lot darker because there's this big chunk of it that is about like what a miserable old prick <laughs> Mark Twain could be, as a kind of existential nihilist. Uh, it's one of the best things Mark Twain ever wrote, he never finished it, but it was called The Mysterious Stranger. Mm. And there was a version that was published after he died, but it kind of, it was sort of half made up by either the publisher or his estate. Like it wasn't his writing, but they used large excerpts from these unfinished manuscripts he had. The segment in the film, in The Adventures of Mark Twain, I, I feel like they were using the original excerpts as the source material rather than this kind of bowdlerized version of the book. Because it's this standalone sequence of this angel of destruction laying waste to these little claymation figures, to the horror of Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer. Basically
1: children watching.
0: And and yeah, all of us. (laughs) And the wonderful speech at the end, which is verbatim from the manuscript, Nothing Exists. Save empty space and you and you are but a thought five I was <laughs> 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 it's it's an it's an amazing film it's technically like there are stronger passages um and weak passages in terms of the technical execution of the animation, but like it was made in like nineteen eighty mm. something um so you know you're not gonna get the kind of contemporary production values of stop motion today but the morphing sequences in particular the way these kind of stories were being told and the environments would morph into existence those were wonderful i think i actually thought that that film was where adam and eve came from (laughs) and so and and i can't remember i think it was i only found out it was from the bible because of an episode of red dwarf right (laughs) But <laughs> wow. we were not a very religious household. No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you, you, you thought these were all made-up characters, did you, Ben? Did you think that God was a made-up character? Did you think that Adam and Eve were made-up characters? Unbelievable.
2: They're very they're
1: very real. They're... Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. I, I think I've overstepped a couple of uh, boundaries there. Sorry. Sorry. Believe in what you want to believe. Just, you know. Yeah.
0: There's a great old film he did as well, Will Venton, that I saw at, I think, the summits in Montreal as part of a uh, retrospective. Mm-hmm. N- not on him specifically, but I think on perhaps uh, a particular scene or era of stop motion animation. And it was called um, the, <laughs> Closed uh... Mondays, I think.
1: Yes, is that the, the drunk walking into the gallery?
0: Yeah, yeah. Drunk walking. And I, th- the story that was told around the time—I'm not sure if this is apocryphal or not—was that he decided to write a film about a drunk character because he found getting claymation characters to walk, they just look drunk.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so that was his kind of work around, just to make the character drunk. Fantastic. And that's a great, like, early example of how he would do those, you know, little Morphe things and little surreal elements of. You know, it's a kind of night at the museum sort of thing. The artwork kind of uh, comes to life.
1: It's also it's good to see somebody sort of embracing the issues that they may have with their with with their you know particular medium and making a thing of it. You know, make it so the character wobbles all over the set. Let's make him a drunk. You know, and 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 really embracing that. I've got a lot of respect for that.
0: And uh, I think you know probably we wouldn't have Leica today without Will Vinton. Mm. Um, there's a lot of stuff out there about the sort of history of how, for a while, they were kind of part of the same uh, operation, and then Leica just sort of branched off at the end of the day. And I kind of remember Will Venton were being sort of zen and magnanimous about it. Mm. You know, like what Leica do now is a quite different thing. You know, they're very much into well, their replication stuff. Uh, Will Venton was much more about the the wonderful world of sculpt through. Mm. Good stuff. I mean, if you if you haven't seen his work, I'm sure a big chunk of it's available on YouTube. I'm not sure through what avenues uh, the films can be bought, but there's probably stuff out there. Hopefully, someone's kind of on top of that. And uh, so, yes, R.I.P. Will Venton and uh, got
1: through an entire tribute without mentioning the California
0: raisins. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't wasn't my favorite of his,
1: but no, no, it's a thing he's probably known for.
0: I don't think they really exported over here. No Yeah, no On the subject of Leica and their kind of propensity Toward 3D printing and replication Our guest for this episode of the podcast Rather seasonally suitable one mm. The film rather is called Bone Mother It's from the National Film Board of Canada And has been released online the last week or so I don't think it's going to be online much longer After this podcast goes out So act fast Not
1: not because of this podcast <laughs>
0: (laughs) No, yeah, we're the kiss of death. (laughs) Oh, Christ, they're talking about us. Pull it. (laughs) But, of course, it's just started its uh, festival rounds as well, so keep your eyes open for it uh, on the old circuit. And NFB films actually tend to go online fairly quickly, so I don't think it's going to be, like, impossible to see, like, for years and years and years, you know. It's by Dale Haywood and Sylvie Trouvet. Sylvie Truve has worked on, um, well, she's been working in the animation industry for quite a long time. She worked on The Little Prince, the recent adaptation of The Little Prince that we talked about uh, not that long ago on this very podcast. Uh, She's made her own films as well. She made a lot of experimental abstract work, generally speaking. Dale Haywood, the film's co-director, is more kind of into 2D animation, also worked on The Little Prince commercial stuff basically they've come together for this nfb film which is about the legend of baba yaga Mm. one that lends itself very well to the uncanny nature of stop-motion animation i don't think it's sort of meant to be a kind of horror film as such but it's certainly absolutely loaded with atmosphere um it's it's very you know dark and mystical and Really embraces the uh, the roots of its source material. I'm not sure if it's based on a particular story that pre-existed, or if they're just using the kind of legend as a basis for it. Essentially, the events of the film are: well, this chap meets Baba Yaga, approaches her in her domain, and thinks to himself, "Well, she ain't." Shit. <laughs> But uh, gets a little bit more than he bargained for. Mm. And it's just gorgeous to look at. I think the quality of 3D printing and replacement animation that I find most appealing is, like with most forms of stop motion, that element where you're really kind of looking at the process as you're watching the film. And it's the side of the production process that big studios, like for example, tend to sand away 3D printing, I'm sure a lot of people know the basics of it, but it's done in a variety of ways. One of the more sort of popular ways for this type of production is to essentially just create things on horizontal layers, build and build and build. You do get these kind of artifacts from that. You can just sort of tell there's a bit of um, texture, I guess, a kind of wood grain type thing you get on the surface. The kind of look, or the kind
1: of built up, like, do you remember the 3D jigsaw puzzles where you had to stick in a slice at a time, and then you'd end up with the, uh, you'd end up with, like, the Statue of Liberty or something. Not the ones that were individual pieces that would create the surface area, the ones that would lie on
0: top of each of these shapes with different numbers. I I think I know what you mean, yeah. Mm. I, I, I can sort of picture that similar kind of outer texture look which I think when you get a bunch of, like, replacement faces with that look and it's, like, giving a nice boil, I find that very satisfying to look at, mm. you know. It's a film that is very slick, The Bone Mother, and very lovingly produced, you know. it's The compositing is great, the visual effects elements are very nicely done. But just by virtue of you can see where, like, say, the hairlines or the eyelids are just that little bit separate from the rest of the puppet...
1: I, I love that. Well, we did. We just, you know, we spoke earlier on about Will Vinton embracing claymation and and all of its um, issues and all of its, you know, the beauty to, to get the beauty out of it. And I think that's something that Bone Mother does with three D printing is that it takes yeah. it, it understands it as a form and understands it as as the way that it looks and and goes, you know what? Let's get stuck into this. Let's make something beautiful. And they really have.
0: Absolutely. It's also very well lit, like, and I know that we've kind of joked about, like, when we talk about the lighting, that means we're kind of (laughs) running out of good things to say. In terms of the grading, it's a very dark film, but it's been graded very well that you can see all the detail. Mm. Like, it's not just someone ran it through Premiere and turned the brightness down. (laughs) They've applied a a proper sort of day-to-night process that retains all of the wonderful details and, you know, not flaws but artefacts, I guess of um, the process
1: Well, that, that's the the idea the, in terms of cinematography as well. You get a lot of close-ups in this film because of the way that it is crafted, the way that it's put together mm-hmm. and that's beautiful, isn't it? The idea of, like, there's two essentially there's two characters in it there's um, Bone Mother and then there's this arrogant prince who comes to steal uh, what the Bone Mother has and that character's more of a kind of smooth character. But when you zoom in on his face when he's doing something, you can see the lines just as well as you can see it on the the bone mother, but it's in a different direction, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it's kind of... um... One's
1: horizontal and one's a vertical build uh, for those that can kind of try and picture the 3D printing... Uh, I'm doing a lot of hand-waving here. It's useless for a podcast, but, you know, <laughs> just imagine somebody waving their arms around, and you, you, you've you got it right. You've got about right, yeah.
0: But, yeah, like you say, the close-up shots are amazing, some of these, like, amazing close-up morphs.
1: And very seasonal as well, like you said earlier on. So perfect for yeah. Halloween. So if it is available... When you're listening to this podcast, if you're one of these people that listens to the podcast as soon as it comes out, then you've got about 20 minutes to, <laughs>
0: to, to run and, and, and watch it. I believe it just won an award at Toronto After Dark. Mm. Something that just popped up on my feed as, we, uh, as we've as we been chatting. So congratulations. You can visit nfb.ca for all their news on their various productions. As is often the case. In the meantime, Squiggly's very own Laura Beth Cowley, who is something of a 3D printing enthusiast. She's been doing her PhD on it, or rather sort of new, new technologies in 3D printing, as regards animation and various other applications. So, uh,
1: A PhD is not an enthusiasm and it's an obsession.
0: I would say so. <laughs> this is a film that she's had her eye on for a very long time, for yeah. obvious reasons. So shall we hear from... Uh, Laura Beth Cowley talking to Dale Haywood and Sylvie Truvey. let
1: Let's indeed.
4: So can we start by uh, talking about what kind of circumstances led to you making the film?
3: Well, originally I heard about, I, well, I, I heard the story uh, that it's originally based on, on a, uh, a horror podcast, a short story podcast called Pseudopod. Okay. And um, it, the, the original story is written by Maureen McHugh, uh, an Irish author. And um, it was just a really fascinating story. I was really drawn into how she took Baba Yaga. I vaguely knew who Baba was, um, but then upon that, I researched her more and and saw how diverse of a character Baba Yaga is. There's so many stories of her
2: mm-hmm.
3: um, and not really familiar with her in, in North America.
2: And the writing was so nicely textured and visceral that, you know, we really felt like it would be Good story for stop motion between the characters and the way it was written. It was so visual. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you and then Michael Fukushima, Fukushima, who is now the exec producer at the NFB, um, asked Dale while we were working on another project. He asked him if he had any films to pitch him, and he said, "Yeah, I do, but I've got one. It's not quite for the NFB." And he said, "Well, pitch it to me, anyways." And there, and that's where it started. You so like the idea, it. and you like the film, and, you, and so then we went into uh, adapting the story for for film.
4: Why did you think it wasn't uh, necessarily a fit for the NFB?
3: Because uh, I knew it was more commercial
4: uh-huh.
3: in general, as far as cause the characters are kind of pop culture, especially vampires, um, are definitely prevalent today in, in uh, pop culture. Mm-hmm. Um Witches, as well, you know, but I think the, the archetypes and the kind of the story that it was telling uh, was also a bit commercial. And we wanted the story felt like it was. And so we had this, the, the story we told in this was more of a commercial idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the stru- story structure, the, 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 the sort, of, sort of the, the layout, the dialogue.
2: It. They have a lot of films without dialogue and, and they like more abstract. Um, in a way, narratives that are, leave the audience kind of trying to uh, put their own interpretation to things mm-hmm. and figuring things out, mm-hmm. whereas ours pretty much tells you how. Like it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, um, what do you say, conte, uh, folkloric tale. You know, it's mm-hmm. a tale. It's a, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's not a. Yeah. It's just different. It's just Yeah, it's, yeah. Just different. it's interpretation. Just di- yeah, a <laughs> different. It's just different than what they usually do.
4: Yeah, it's relatively straightforward. Yeah, so yeah. to speak.
2: It took That's us a long time to get there. Yeah. <laughs> we had a lot. We had way too many ideas that we were trying to fit in the short film. Mm. Uh, so we had to, you know, change the story quite a bit to be able to adapt it to fit in that time frame. But uh, mm-hmm. it was a really uh, interesting and, and challenging and educational experience.
4: <laughs> it, the production went on for quite a while, didn't it?
3: Yes. Yeah, it took it over.
2: Four from years. beginning to
3: end, yeah, about a little over four years. But we oh, did, we
2: did have a baby at the same yeah. time, so that you know slowed things down a little. Well, even though we didn't take that much time off, we got right back into it like a month after the baby was born. So
3: that was one reason why we moved. We we were set up at the film board, big space and everything, and then we moved everything into our little studio basement because of the the, the baby here, and it, it made it it, it definitely. You know, added a level of complication, but it made it possible as well and made us experience our son also possible mm-hmm. while making the film. So it was a nice
2: mm-hmm. balance. Yeah, for both of us to still be involved mm-hmm. in the film. Otherwise, if we hadn't done that, probably Dale would have done the film by himself at the film board. <laughs> so kind <laughs> of nice sad. to hate. <laughs> yeah. No,
3: no she, is, she used to be tortured by the film as well. <laughs>
4: The overall look and uh, feel of the film is uh, stunning. I've been watching The Bone Mother being made for ages. Uh, Where did you gather your visual inspiration from for the film? Uh,
3: We looked at Mike
2: McNola a lot. Yeah,
3: Mike McNola from Hellboy Mm. um, a lot. Uh, Then you
2: didn't know just in terms of lighting, mm -hmm,
3: mm -hmm. live-action stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, We really looked at early turn-of-the-century illustrations, Russian illustrations by uh, mainly this guy, Ivan Bolivian. He, he did these beautiful just still images, you know, was children's book illustrations. It's kind of like Mignola, this kind of idea of these complex silhouettes. So you got all this detail, but there's no detail inside of it. And so we always kind of felt we like the silhouettes of things.
2: And, so and the trees were cutouts. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that's where that came from. And even
3: Baba, she, like, is just kind of this black mass sometimes. She's mm-hmm. just, like, hands are just sticking out kind of like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like a shield, you know, Egon shield as well. But yeah. um, definitely live-action films as well influenced. I think that's a nice thing Stop Motion is that it's kind of the bridge between animation and live-action. So natural lighting, it was a big thing. We were, we were looking at a lot of uh, examples of just sort of, the lighting, you know, just natural. That it was of the time of the period, um, you know. It's either, and it was really, you know, early morning and gloomy, so it was really tough to 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 light that. And so it felt more natural, like mm-hmm. live action stuff. So, um, but uh, other visuals. I mean, what what Leica is doing with their productions and raising the value as far as the the detail in in. uh Um, facial expressions and and, uh, a more it's a much more realistic aesthetic than we've done in the past Mm -hmm. and so because of the range of facial expressions Mm -hmm. we wanted to get um, that kind of led the the the, the aesthetic to be a little bit more detailed and same thing with the visual effects they were much more like more realistic more detailed because you know you bring up this aesthetic and it's sort of like keep it all at the same level so it kind of it's interesting on how the project's Overall look just sort of evolves during the production.
4: The film still has this very hand-rendered feel to it, but obviously yeah. you use quite a lot of modern technology and it. Was was it the Leica influence that sort of brought that about, or was there ever reasons? It was definitely
3: that, and we were encouraged by that. But we knew we couldn't afford printers to that level. Um, so, but you know, I was already. Looking, researching it a lot for when we were when we were gearing up for the, the stop motion sequences in The Little Prince. Mm-hmm. We I, I pitched that to them at one point, and they they wanted to to much more of a, a handmade aesthetic. And at that time, definitely was feeling very techno based. And so when we started to play with it in our R and D time, we discovered that you know if we printed uh, Baba's face lying down, you got this sedimentary feeling and and we could naturally naturally through technology get these wrinkles
2: yeah through the the lack of expertise of the, the printer in a way
3: yeah yeah the, the, the limitation of the printer and we made it intention with her face i think that's so that what makes kind of it made feel it natural yeah too. that gave it a handmade feel to, to at least a, to a to a Know that it's still stop motion.
2: Well, we really wanted to do the 3D printed faces because we wanted to have a range of expressions. You know, Mm -hmm. we wanted to play with the animation of the face itself in terms of like, you know, the forehead and the cheeks going up, you know, when you squint and like there's so much movement in your face that you can't do in, in stop motion when you just have two little eyes and a replacement mouth. You know, it's you're we're we were always feeling limited by that. So it was like finally, 3D printers, let's like try and See how much we can get out of it to mm-hmm. be able to convey more emotion because we knew our film had so many uh, such a variety of emotion in it
4: so i think also uh due to the way you did it it sort of like you said it kind of holds on to that kind of stop motion aesthetic and it also it's not overly complex where sometimes like films because obviously they have millions and millions it's kind of a bit like you, you kind of manage to steer away from that issue that some people have with that kind of technology which is that it uh, kind of takes away.
3: Yeah, I think li- setting limits. <laughs> we yeah, setting limits, but we also, I mean, even in retrospect, seeing all the faces and having them all, we still would probably would have went back and, and limited even further, mm. limited our ranges even further. There was a because of the quality uh, limitation on the printers, we there were some faces where you on in Maya it looked like there was a big r- difference, but. In reality, that you couldn't tell a difference. So, because it was already like yeah. hand, they're all hand painted as well. So, that gave a little bit of a boil, um, which was nice. We totally uh, embraced that. We wanted it. It made lot. them feel more alive. Yeah. And even for Vlad, like we try and kept it smooth, but it, there's still a little texture to him as well. Mm-hmm. So, I think that's nice to, yeah, it gives this extra mm-hmm. movement to them.
4: So. And it kind of adds to the influences you had that kind of hand rendered, kind of almost etching. Mm. aesthetic
3: yeah yeah uh, it, it, and then we used it even with the, the uh, all the skull all the skeletons in the house that's all what it was nice about the 3d printers was that it allowed us to get a, a large production look with a small team mm-hmm. there was really like at max it was like five of us working at one point oh, yeah. but most of the time it was just sylvia and i so mm-hmm. it, it uh it allowed us to, like we have two different scales of the of, of the house so there's there's tons of bones and tons of modeling and it just allowed us so we didn't have to worry about molds or anything like that so
4: did you do the modeling yourself or did you bring someone else to do that
3: yeah we had a few other people mm-hmm. with uh, andre michaud was a great you know he, he guided us in the 3d printing and then the maya and then he also made our our, our our puppet armatures too so we did a lot of prototyping of different things we were trying out different styles mm-hmm. Um, so it was nice and yeah, then, it was
2: useful to have somebody that knew it already instead of having to learn that as well. We had yeah. too much stuff that we had to learn already uh, <laughs> That was one thing that was wait like okay we'll just let's find someone.
4: Were the armatures 3D printed or were they traditional?
3: They're traditional. Yeah mm-hmm. we, we, pro, we prototyped we tried. Yeah we, we prototype them in, in uh, the 3D printing like our because original you tested aesthetic. It. Yeah, original aesthetic was much flatter
4: mm-hmm. so
3: we, we kind of wanted this moving illustration. But it felt a little too, you know, Lot reiniger limit, yeah, limit. Yeah, and then we were like, our faces were also kind of bas-relief. But then we were like, oh, Christ, we rotate. We have to do a rotation. We have to 3D print that rotation. We're like, okay, forget it. This is great. <laughs> so we, we, but we prototyped that one in 3D. But we, we printed also their, uh, their chest blocks and their pelvis and the kind of padding around the legs and the arms. All of that was also a 3D printed kind of muscle, mm-hmm. so to speak. Mm-hmm. um so yeah we um, it was nice to just sort of play with the 3d printing uh also like we found that if we heat it up with a heat gun we can shape it
2: mm-hmm. so
3: we also shape the baba's hunch and try to shape her you know as we we're going it animated
2: so. the hands that way because the hands yeah. were 3d printed as well so yeah a way to be able to move them a bit mm-hmm. but it's amazing what you can get away with with just one hand position, yeah. You wouldn't think, but you can like, yeah. Just by rotating the wrist, you know, it gives totally impression of the hand. So it's it's pretty cool.
4: I think that was the other nice thing that I've sort of seen from your kind of blog posts and things is that you weren't, you didn't treat the three D objects as those like precious final things that you know maybe you paint but you do like really finelly retentively and then leave. <laughs> you you know you burnt them and you melted them and you know, they 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 are kind of throwaway in a way,
0: mm-hmm. uh, and that's
4: quite nice. And you use quite different like materials as well. Then you, you use wood at one point.
3: But, yeah, the wood filament is in the face and mm-hmm. the hands. Uh, the hair, um, yeah, the hair was a flexible filament. Mm-hmm. So kind of in our model, put little kind of trenches for wire, and we kind of again you mm-hmm. we used a kind of. Uh, a wood burner kind of soldering like a little iron Mm -hmm. you can just sort of melt you would print out just single thin sheets of the plastic and we just sort of melt it and hold the wire and kind of do it like a a seaming.
2: Uh, the bones so were clear plastic
3: yeah that allowed the light to kind of shine mm-hmm. through that was nice um, yeah so lots of that's the but i we wanted to try like there's there's magnetic filament and there's like all these different tons of film and it's lots it's like of a, options it's like an endless pit of coolness in 3d <laughs> but the wood was, one we
2: were it took a while before we found that one yeah. we were really excited to find it because we had tried painting on the all the different kinds of plastic yes. ones and it always just looked like painted plastic like it just didn't just didn't look nice, you know? And it didn't fit the story that she was in the woods and she was this this mother of nature and stuff. Mm. So when we found the wood filament, we were really excited that it felt like more natural and it took watercolor paint so well. It's a more fibrous texture, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah. it's a little porous, which Mm. was really nice. And we knew that we were gonna have a lot of faces so we couldn't do much refinishing to them. So we've seen like other 3D printing, it's you can tell, oh, they've got a Limit Mouth set, and they got twenty, and they really sanded them down and make them. Burn. Like we were gonna have hundreds, so we we're yeah. like we couldn't do that. And most of the time, especially for Baba, she's like that's how she looks out of the out of the out of the printer. We just maybe did a wash on her, yeah. and that was on top. But we didn't sand it. Vlad it was a little bit of cleanup, especially mm-hmm. in his mouth, but. It was really like as little cleanup after the print was done.
2: In a way for Baba too, the 3D printing was really ideal because we wanted her to feel so wrinkly. Yeah. And with traditional mold, that would be difficult to do that, Mm -hmm. that extent of wrinkling. And also that she felt kind of topographical. Yes. You know, kind of like in the woods and ancient, like it just, the, the te- old technologies seem to fit so. Uh, the, this new technology seemed to fit so well to this old story that's set in the 15th century, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which was really uh, amusing. <laughs> it's nice as well
4: to see it being used in a, a kind of a worthwhile way, not just as a, a gimmick, as mm-hmm. well. Because mm-hmm. I think yeah. uh, on a kind of short production, you're one of the first people I know that have done that for a legitimate reason other than normally it's like modern and old technology clashing and what that means and that's kind of like their rationale behind it but really it's just so they could put free printing in a hashtag (laughs) 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 it's it's nice to see it being used like effectively and usefully so you you have previously worked together on like you said the little prince and if i was god is that how you met or did you meet a long time ago.
2: Oh yeah, we met a long time. Well, we met like what, eleven years ago, twelve years ago, thirteen years ago, something like this. 50. No, <laughs> fifteen. Yeah, we met before then in Toronto. We used to work together in Toronto at a commercial studio. Okay. And uh,
3: did lots of TV series.
2: Did lots. We animated, yeah, day in and day out, stop motion for like five years. Yeah. Before things... we moved to Montreal and did uh, Hot House. Yeah. Kind of.
3: Yeah, I got a. Our, yeah you got our start got our teeth, cut our teeth in tv series so it's a good way to kind of go through the ranks and and try all fa- sides of the production and, and types uh, of
2: animation style yeah. you know mm. and
3: then uh then when mm. we came to Montreal it was okay this is independent filmmaking world and you know kept our contacts with Toronto and so we could do commercial work but uh, we started doing com- we started doing our own independent work as soon as we kind of came here That was in 2007.
2: Mm -hmm. It's really thanks to the national film board that we decided to go into filmmaking instead of just working in a commercial studio Mm -hmm. because the hot house program really gave us a a taste for, you know, what making films was all about. And then uh, we love Montreal so much. We decided to stay here. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah, And so, yeah, we've, we've, We've worked independently but we mainly work together so we with our company sea creature and then also just alongside each other at different places like mm-hmm. on little prints or um doing you know large scale uh, um, motion graphic stuff at like moment factory or things like that mm-hmm.
2: you know? yeah every project is completely different it's like, like either you're working on a documentary you're working on a commercial you're working on somebody else's film you're working you know, for larger productions, you know, feature productions, it's all, like, it's, uh, it's great that everything is different. <laughs> yeah. Keep having tried challenging yourself and trying to learn new things and, you know, realizing you keep having to have so much more to learn.
4: Yeah. How, um, how have you found the uh, initial response to the film?
2: Pretty cool. Yeah, yeah I think it's, it's good for the it's people that like this kind of film people are it's not they're not into folklore or, or uh, the genre type of film you know
3: mm-hmm. so mm-hmm.
2: It, it, it like everything in life it's you know for those who like it they seem to really like it you know, so it's, yeah. it's
3: nice yeah. it's been interesting if, uh, the on social media on our instagram meeting kind of this great new community of kind of uh witch which folklore people and it's really great to to uh, uh Be accepted into that different community.
4: The creep. That yeah, was, awesome.
2: Yeah, was really <laughs> I, awesome. I consider
4: myself a creep, so that's that's. <laughs> you're welcome.
2: Yeah, it's so great to like no, have like... that community behind you. You mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. to encourage you and get you to. kiss you know, there's certainly some days where just like, oh, what the hell am I doing this for? You know, and then it's so nice to have other people like liking your work because it's hard to like it yourself sometimes. So mm-hmm. it's you need that.
3: Yeah, that's why we were big on on sharing what we were doing during the production right off the beginning um it's something i've been trying to encourage the film board and so Mm. luckily they've been more more and more open to it um because that was the, the the community especially in animation that's really what we are is that community is that close community and so but to be dealing with these characters and then to find another community that's also really interested in this sort of thing that's would normally not be in contact with animation because of whatever reason, mm-hmm. so it's nice to sort of bridge, you know, that and and, uh, and expose another community to mm-hmm. to animation and another another way of of encouragement too. So it's not just um, in our own little bubble, which is very
2: easy mm-hmm. to do, especially so, when you're working in a basement.
3: <laughs> the bubble is small.
4: <laughs> well, your uh, new audience live in basements, so that's probably fine.
3: <laughs> Our own little basement bubbles. <laughs>
4: It's the nice thing about working in a, what would be perceived as kind of a niche area: stop motion already being animation being a niche, and then stop motion within that being a niche, horror even smaller. So, but the the niche you go, the more intense <laughs> the audience tend to get.
3: Yeah, totally, and uh, that's, that's how true. we've kind of been approaching the festivals as well. Is more into the all right, this, this is what our niche is. This is this is the film's brand, and and finding that, um, and I think that's really important to, to sort mm-hmm. of gauge whether something is successful or not, you mm-hmm. know, because if it if it tanks in a market that's just not the type of thing, well that's not a true indicator of the quality of the of mm-hmm. the project. So I think it's sort of it helps to identify what your project is and and uh, you know it's been the case mm-hmm. with all the other other things that we've worked on, the wide full variety of things. So um, yeah. this one just happens to be that, you know, puppet horror thing. The next one going to be a comedy. Totally, totally
2: different. <laughs> Something simple and comedic.
4: <laughs> and do you feel the um, the um NFB are quite good at helping you find those festivals, people, audiences?
3: Total. I mean, yeah. Yeah. They're, 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 they're open
2: st- to it. Yeah. They're, they're becoming
3: more and more open to it. They definitely yeah. have their kind of path of, of what has been successful for some films. Most films don't follow that path. And so that's why, We've been oh, we've been encouraging them to to open their minds to what where they can screen it. I think it's also why the film is getting released online at its beginning stages of the festival mm-hmm. too.
2: For um, everyone too, because yeah, yeah. initially it was supposed to be just for the Canadian audience, and then we're like, no, everybody's got to see this on Halloween. Yeah, mm. yeah.
3: Yeah. So they they they've, they're definitely becoming more and more open to to differences and different ideas of of, uh of exploring the film
2: um yeah no because a lot of times the films you'll do a film and then it'll go into festivals for like a year or two and then nobody gets to see it but for us it was really important that it can go online because you know everybody that's been following it as well like it's done now and if you wait two years before you show it like you know Likely, they might even forget about it, you know. Yeah. So I think it's hot off the press in a way. You just gotta, you gotta Keep give it right access to people that might not be going to film festivals, too, right?
4: Mm-hmm. And festivals tend to be, or seem to be, relaxing that kind of stigma towards online mm-hmm. nowadays, which is good. Yeah.
3: hmm mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, that's just the day and age that we live in. It has to. It's part of the exposure of a project, especially short films, because really, it's like you're not, you're not gonna get a return. <laughs> So you're you're like you're not you're not losing out on any box office
2: numbers. No. No, exactly. Um, You know. know. I mean, it is really much nicer to see it on a large screen. The sound is so spectacular on a large screen. Totally. And the the whole experience, you know, but uh, Mm -hmm. not everybody has a chance to go to a theater. So true. Good to see it online too. <laughs> Sometimes people have really big TVs and their sound is really good too.
0: <laughs>
4: the home cinema market. Be fine. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that was Sylvie Trovet and Dale Haywood, the directors of Bone Mother, speaking with our very own Laura Beth Cowley, who's here with me now. Hello, Laura. Hello. I'm not sure why I got so intense there. I get excited around this time of year. You're quite a big fan of the Bone Mother, I gather.
4: I am. I've been watching it the progress of it for years it feels like it probably isn't years it's probably like a year
0: like on instagram or on just
4: yeah they have a quite good instagram where they have been posting processes used in the film throughout the entire time um sylvie actually gave birth to a baby during production as well so is that on instagram
0: yeah oh, really?
1: Right no,
4: on. not the okay. <laughs> but the oh here by the way this is why we haven't been posting for a while baby face i see
0: Fair enough. Well, no, it looks amazing. The sort of end result is uh, quite tremendous. It's a production technique that I imagine is quite dear to your heart, enmeshed as you are in the world of emerging stop-motion technologies, 3D printing, all that jazz.
4: It was just interesting to see someone using 3D printing um, purely, I guess. Like, they're using the aesthetic of 3D printing and the style that it can create. In its original way, like they're not—they're not sanding back just to make it look like something that could have come out of a mold.
0: Okay, so it's kind of unpolished, as yeah,
4: like it's raw. They used three D printing, like the layering system of three D printing, to create like the wrinkles of the bone mother's face. Yeah, okay. Gotcha. Um, so it made it—it it sort of added to, rather than like three D printing being this thing that's often sort of seen as like this unnecessary evil that we have to sort of bring ourselves round to using they used it with great effect and um it would have actually been a much harder thing to do if they did it any other way
0: the nfb have been putting out various films over the course of the last week or so uh we put up a little piece when they kicked off with day zangaroo which was an excellent new film of theirs and this one i think sort of bookended it putting up Bone Mother at the end of it. And I don't really know if they're going to keep it up for that long. I think it was kind of a Halloween sort of treat thing. Eventually, of course, I'm sure it will be online for all to see. But in the meantime, I expect it will be doing the rounds at festivals and such. like. Um, But it's a great film. Seasonally apropos, I dare say. In that vein, you and I just came back from a weekend away in Cardiff as a kind of birthday slash let's go see my film again. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> the wonderful, wonderful team at Cardiff Animation Nights slash Cardiff Animation Festival, in particular, uh, Danny Abram, she put together a screening on Saturday of spooky animation. Yeah. And that's a subject that I uh, remain very fond of. In one of the earlier podcasts, I think it was the first year we did it, we talked to the Twitter audience a little bit about some of their sort of favorite spooky animation memories. And that's something we kind of revisited earlier today. Were there any particular highlights for you of the uh, screening the other night?
4: Uh, sudden scapades. Well, of course! <laughs> um, Winston?
0: Winston is good, yeah.
4: Yeah, Winston is good. I always want to say Wilson. And then I have the little ball from Castaway. <laughs> Wilson! <laughs> it's Winston. Um, yep, yeah, it's very good. Um, I think I like that one because it reminded me of the other film I was telling you
0: about today. And that was called... There's a man in the woods, was it? Yeah. All
4: right. I love that film.
0: Can you? Because I actually, if I had seen it before, I had forgotten it. I have to it's, say, it it's a
4: weird film. It's always really striking and people always really like it. And then, like, I'll come back to it a year later and people, I'll be like, oh, that's like my favorite film. And they'll be like, what? And I'll show it to them and they'll be like, what? And like, I've never seen that before. I'm like, yes, you have. I'm sure you have. You can't have known me and not seen this film.
0: Uh, mandela Um, effect
4: yeah it's really weird but it's a it's an amazing film it's very like it has like this kind of rhyming poem narration and it has a circular narrative which i always like i like narratives that begin and end in a nice round way and there's a really satisfying ending and i really liked um winston because it had a very similar vein it was like it's kind of poetic and you not everything is as it seems. and you as the audience you kind of guess what he's done and you get to the end and the only thing that sort of it didn't let it down but like it i really wanted it to have this like really lovely circular ending like um there's a man in the woods and it didn't <laughs> but it was still it was a very good film i like films that have a kind of a lyrical bounce to them because i think winston was the first thing i've seen that visually kind of reminded me of this ever, this other film as well Because it's a really hard to explain style. It's like pencil, thin pencil drawings and like a kind of watercolour-ish paint job, but not really. I don't know. It's a really hard one to explain. It's definitely like digital 2D, but otherwise I can't really explain it.
0: (laughs) This is interesting. Okay, so I'm looking into it. It's a guy called Aram Sarkeesian is the director. He made it at CalArts. Yeah. And the other film was also made at CalArts. Um, there's a man in the woods. It was by a guy called Jacob trailing. I'm just looking it up it, now.
4: The Cal people do like they seem to have been
0: They have a very odd reputation in the sense that they've been misclassified by people like um one very prominent example is John Kreis for Lucy. He would kind of write off the homogenization of a lot of stuff we see on television, that very simplified approach to design and layout as what he would call the Cal Arts style,
2: oh, okay. which is
0: very inconsistent with films like Winston and There's a Man in the Woods and loads of other stuff that they do. They're not really, I think, known for one style.
4: No.
0: I think, you know, people who, there was a quite sort of funny, like, aside, I remember Trey and Matt talking about the guys who do South Park, because most of their employees are Cal Arts graduates and they would, like, catch them on their lunch breaks rendering these hugely elaborate, like, CG vistas and monsters and battles and things like that because their day job is animating talking poo. And so they they needed, like, in their downtime to just kind of keep their, you know, their engine oiled with actual animation stuff.
4: Well, CalArts was... Wasn't it set up to be, like, the animation, like, feeder? Wasn't it something to do with Disney?
0: I imagine so. I I think it's
4: where Disney employees used to train like that's where they would like that's where Tim Burton went and stuff
0: that makes absolute sense you know because they're so it was
4: like the channel school
0: so they showed some older films uh some recent films and some films of a few years old now one I haven't seen in a while but I still oh. love is Teeth
4: oh that's such a good um, film
0: we talked to them a, f- a long time ago they've been on the podcast the guys from Holbrooks um Daniel Gray and Tom not
4: it
0: it is great Daniel Gray actually they're not together anymore um, as a company or a, a two-person collective, they don't uh, work as Holbrooks. I think they just do individual stuff now. Daniel Gray also had a newish film that was in the program last night. Mm. The name of which I forget. It was a kind of music video type thing or set to music It was music like thing.
4: about things that shouldn't, <laughs> like... Things speak. being
0: made into objects, like sort of taxidermy, but in this kind of weird... Creepy yeah. way. Yeah,
4: I would not have put that like once he's once his name put up. I was like, oh okay, <laughs> but I wouldn't have necessarily put the two together.
0: Well, it had a, it has a sort of similar vibe to Teeth in terms of the rendering, the drawing style, but uh, it's not remotely a similar film. No. You know, it doesn't kind of get under your skin in the same way Teeth was designed to. Uh, this uh, this Daniel Gray the film I've, I found it is called Constant Growth Fails and it is a music video for ah, okay. a band that called uh, Houshka. I Yes. But he's a friend of Squiggly. Um, it's always nice to see new work from him as well. So they had some films that were sort of technically very good, like Garden Party is this kind of visual masterwork of sort of semi-photorealistic CG, sort of peppered with some comedy moments and a sort of nice dark ending. It's like um,
4: a really nice showreel. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's a great sort of mix of... Um, like, comic timing, but also very uh, well-observed creature animation and and elements, elements, yeah, yeah. Another film that is very, that there was a bit of a dispute over between uh, the uh, organisers in so much as one of them, Danny loved it and Lauren hated it, was the very, very, the absolute epitome of Uncanny Valley film, which I think was called... (sighs)
4: Stockholm.
0: Stockholm, thank you. And that was sort of a film about the master and owner relationship between a dog and humans, and who is the, I guess, master of who. Mm. And it was sort of, it was kind of like the. And that
4: love hate situation. Well, it's about Stockholm Syndrome.
0: Essentially, <laughs> yeah. But really bizarrely, like, that kind of video game quality of, like, hyper real like human animation. Like, video game
4: trailers. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you can see the glisten in their eyes.
0: Yeah it just doesn't feel very comfortable to watch. It's no. exactly what that phrase was kind of, I guess, predicated upon, mm-hmm. was that style of visual. And I don't know, if I didn't dislike the film. I, it's not my particularly favorite style. I think people like Chris Landreth uh, from the NFB, and um, he's a guy who did films like Ryan and Subconscious Password, and he's often credited as being this sort of the face of the uncanny valley in terms of CG animation, but his films aren't uncomfortable to watch because they are generally more kind of mixed up and abstract and the photoreal elements are kind of interspersed among what i find is generally quite cartoony animation and so i don't think when i watch those films i don't really feel uncomfortable in the same way
4: you know what's quite interesting about the uncanny valley when it comes to cg animation because it's quite often put together like there's whole books on cg and gaming and the uncanny valley being like this subject area i never find cg uncanny because mm. i at no point think they're alive no. and you kind of need that in order for the uncanny to work yeah. and i think that's why it doesn't it does that film didn't creep me out at all because i was like well there's nothing lifelike about them even though they're moving like a human and their eyes and everything looks kind of photorealistic I know as a human and someone that has watched thousands <laughs> of short films that that isn't a human being or anything closely linked to it. The only thing that was a bit creepy was the fact that the dog character is humanistic in its um, anatomy, mm. and there's a bit at the end where he's like crawling over the do- the human body, and he kind of looks like a spider oh, yeah. because he's just he's too limmy. And he right. he doesn't have like a dog's ability to crouch properly anymore because he has human legs.
0: Yeah, that kind of yeah, the and, like, movement hands. quality is is quite creepy.
4: Um, and it was more that kind of association that made that creepy more than the fact that, that it was kind of humanistic or human like.
0: Yeah, sort of creepy, dangly, gangly limbs. Ooze is a great one.
4: Oh, I love Ooze. Ooze is very uh, graphical and stylistic. And really, just satisfying. I really like the weird little laugh at the beginning. And once again, <laughs> circular narrative. I love a good circular narrative. I like yeah. book-ended films.
0: Uh, we also we had seen that one before at uh, Encounters
4: in the Late Lounge.
0: Yeah, and I think I should because we uh, haven't actually, I think, done a podcast since Encounters. Uh, I think the last one went up just before. So, as is generally the case, there were a few animation films thrown in to the uh, Late Lounge. Which is always great fun.
4: There was a lot of live action,
0: wasn't there? Yeah. So it was in the late lounge as well. It was directed by Killian Villem. Villem, I'm not entirely sure how you pronounce that. From Switzerland. Uh, it's about a bellhop, I guess, or an elevator uh, operator. operator who was kind of. It starts off. I mean, it has this very kind of like, you know, dreamlike look to it, but it starts off pretty linear, I would say. It's just a guy at work. And there are weird characters that come into the elevator and leave. And it then kind of takes this turn for, well, I guess the more sort of horrific. And each floor he sort of stops at, he's presented with these bizarre like scenarios that he may or may not be kind of intrinsically involved with himself. Or maybe he's looking at other guests or people in this building.
4: It reminds me a little bit of um, I'm Fine, Thanks. Oh, yeah. That like, that kind of energy, that kind of like surreal like is this happening? is it not happening? what's he's experiencing, and what we're seeing is that the same thing, mm. uh, but it's also have a darker, yeah, yeah, uh both literally <laughs> and figuratively,
0: yeah, also among the sort of late lounge films, I mean, there were some great live action ones, it was a more live action heavy late lounge and about there some this year, amazing
4: live action ones,
0: yeah. Well, the one that we saw again at the BFI festival, I really like. Um, Time for Tim. uh, Yeah. Was that what it was called?
4: Oh, no. Um,
0: Too Many Tims? No. no, Too Many Cooks. It had a very Too Many Cooks. Wrong wrong Tim, Wrong Time. Wrong Time. right place wrong tim that was it jesus christ jesus christ <laughs> you can tell it left an impression Oh,
4: but it's it because there's a lot of wordplay in it
0: <laughs> yeah
4: but it was so good and it had adam buxton in it, which made it so much better i
0: thought adam buxton really threw himself into it in like the best way <laughs> like the it, it starts off with this kind of like broad 90s sitcom style thing and then it just sort of With gets lots
4: of puns and
0: awful puns, the awful window. double entendres. Then I guess it kind of embraces this sort of thing that stuff like Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared kind of sets up. And things where, okay, well, this is what we're watching, or is it? And then it kind of gets more and more unsettling. It's a very simple concept. I think it's going to be on TV soon. Yeah, um, it's done
4: this part of... Um, Random X. Channel- yeah. Uh,
0: not a frame of animation in it as far as i can tell yeah. except for maybe some visual effects but it was worth mentioning because it's a great little film
4: i wish i had puppets in it uh
0: there was a great sort of cg creepy film that was it felt like it was more of like a horror film for kids than for yeah. adults it was called lenoria by carlos beiner um
4: I had a more like Grimm's fairy tale feel to it meets pan's labyrinth yeah like pan's labyrinth but for children
0: Yeah, very high-end CG production Mm. values of a kid being sort of tormented by these demonic characters. I guess the demons were pretty intense. Yeah, for a kid's, but the kid design and the sort of the general cinematography and overall approach to the production just felt more like a kid's film,
4: like an Eastern European child's like okay thing, because they let they're like yeah, watch Frank Mile on a Saturday, that's fine.
0: Yeah, I guess it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about like how the the stuff I would watch as a kid, it didn't really sort of care about upsetting you. Um, yeah. I'd, maybe it just wasn't... it. Maybe it didn't think it would be that upsetting, like with the Will Vinton thing, or like maybe they just kind of wanted to sort of thicken your skins. But
4: I think it's a mix of... A, it's a bit like early Cartoon Network shows where they would slip in all these dirty jokes yeah. to keep themselves entertained. And that mixed with i just don't think they there weren't any long-term effects noted at that point towards visual kids watching things and then acting upon them yeah and also i think everything just sort of got whitewashed if it was animation oh that's for kids it's fine yeah and now they're like oh no okay yeah there is quite a lot of dark
0: stuff (laughs) also in late lounge our good friend Sawako Kabuki. I say friend, we've never met her. Oh, my she's, favorite person <laughs> in the world. She would, I guess, she's someone we're just a big fan of. I love. Her. Um, and her new film, Wah, and then in parentheses, <laughs> En. <laughs> okay. Yep. And it's about just babies crying. I was so happy to see this. I remember this was another one I saw in pre-selection. I forget
4: and what the point of this film was.
0: It's just about people crying like babies. This is, well, this is her description. Wasn't
4: it like dedicated to her niece or something?
0: I think so. It was, she says, I synchronize the irritation of baby cries and the frustration I have ever experienced. Everyone was born while crying and grew crying. There you go. Yep. But I, I love her stuff. She's I amazing. I love her stuff so much. One guy that we interviewed recently on Swiggly, David Barlow Quilliane's film Caterpillar Plasty, which is really fed up and wonderful. Kind of Uncanny Valley as well, but not really. It's because it's so grotesque.
4: I love the music in that one.
0: Yeah, that kind of Muzaki. Yeah. Yeah.
4: It's happening.
0: Kind of Black Mirror vibe to it. But with this really... It's people doing sort of insane, intense plastic surgery in some godless future sci-fi landscape.
4: But it's quite interesting because it really draws attention because actually, I mean, they're obviously a little bit more exacerbated but they are basically the idea of like how you know when you see people that are have had a lot of plastic surgery mm. but they all kind of look the same yeah and they so, get what, that yeah. what's your end goal there to make yourself look like you, you're full of plastic and you've got these massive lips and tits and ass and pecs if you're a bloke and like weirdly chiseled but not in an appealing way mm. but it's like they're trying to get to that point where they look hideous
0: Some people I think it it, it's a way to channel a kind of dysmorphia or an illness and They definitely
4: should have counselling.
0: Yeah. I remember one guy who like it was some documentary about like guys who like are obsessed with their dick size and this guy would keep (gasps) injecting silicone into his dick and it got to a point where he had like this boulder-sized penis that he... You couldn't do anything with it, It surely. It wasn't
4: his penis, though, was it? It was his balls.
0: Was it the ball? Yeah! He didn't care... Like, that's even weirder. Yeah,
4: that was the weird (laughs) thing, is he couldn't He didn't care at all about the dick, but he just wanted these giant watermelon balls.
0: Then you hear about... There was another documentary about a guy who just had giant balls because of, like, a medical condition. Mm. Like a a hoppity-hop. Or a space hopper. And, like, then you're just like, oh, there but for the grace of God... Like that's a, it. Sounds like a horrible affliction. Yeah. Well, why would is, you do it, it is voluntarily? Of the nuts. Yeah. It?
4: Like it's kind of. I think it comes from a similar thing to what the Elephant Man had. But this guy, like, they asked him why, and he's like, he just says like, I just find them really sexy. I just want to have them really big balls, really sexy. He's like, all right, I guess. That's it's weird, <laughs> but no I, one I, else I, does. You're aware of this, right? <laughs> like
0: that is the the crazy thing about like that's something he and he internally came up with. Because that's it's never so... come up in, like, but cosmetic a, magazines but that's or... that's
4: like a mental condition. Like, if you only find yourself attractive if you have, like, massive deformity. Yeah. And you weren't born like that. Like, it's, you know, pro-body, you yeah. know, enjoying your body regardless of how you were born and whatever. Fine. But don't make yourself into something really bizarre.
0: No. That's a weird moment in The Elephant Man when he's, like, presenting his his discovery to the other mm. doctors. And, you know, it's it's a very well-filmed scene in the film, though the one doctor is so moved by it. But then as he's sort of wrapping up, he's like, he makes, he decides to make the point of like, but look at his dick. Isn't it's fine. <laughs> and the doctor's like, cool. <laughs> Cheers for that. I think that was
4: because, um, his, it was weird because his entire one half of his body was like deformed, mm. but not the other, but, not the... but it wasn't like one half of his penis or one ball was weird. It was perfectly fine. Yeah. So he could have, uh, cause I think the point he was making is like, he could go on to procreate. I guess so. Perfectly. He wasn't ready. just
0: rubbing it in. No. Like, oh, the one place you'd want elephantiasis for it. you, Doctor's Chiefs.
4: The Doctor came from my hometown.
0: Did he? Hmm. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I'm reading about David Lynch. I'm reading the uh, autobiography and apparently Anthony Hopkins didn't like David Lynch very much.
4: I can understand that.
0: <laughs> well, he was very green, but he did a I great job with the film, movie. film,
4: but I, it annoys me so much that it's a David Lynch film because otherwise I'd have no reason to you, you be You resent like it.
0: that we like a David Lynch film the same amount. Yes, I really
4: do. Because <laughs> it's, it's always your comeback when I'm like, oh, f- David Lynch. And you're like, yeah, but he did do The Elephant Man. I'm like, I know. <laughs> I f***ing love that film. But I love the Elephant Man more. That's why.
0: So there was an interview with David Barlow. That was really good, actually. On uh, Squiggly. That. What, Gnosis? Mm. Yeah, well, who directed that?
4: Vincent's New
0: Vincent's Newhouse. Newhouse. From Germany. I remember that one, yeah. That was, was good. Yeah.
4: It was weird. It yeah. was very similar to Teeth.
0: Yeah. It had yeah. that
4: kind of like, I discovered at a young age, I had blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. <laughs>
0: Uh, another NFB filmmaker who we have an interview with up on Squiggly. The film is called The Subject, and that's a really interesting film about a guy, well, Patrick Bouchard, basically. He created himself, and he sort of made this pixelation stop-motion film of him performing his own autopsy and um, pulling all sorts of crazy out of his body. And it's
4: Like an anchor, isn't
0: it? Like, yes, uh, yeah, like... Um, and an
4: anvil.
0: Yeah, like anvils and, like... Like a carousel at one point. It's an
4: insane film. It's one of those films that you just can't like. You have to really sit and be like, "How the hell did you do that?" Yeah. Which is like it's the same with a couple of films. I remember going. What was the last film he did with the bull and the?
0: Beidler. Yeah. Yeah.
4: And I remember going to like a a, like a masterclass with him and basically just did the whole thing in reverse. And I was like, "Of course you did. (laughs) That's so fucking obvious, Laura." But Jesus Christ. Why did you do that to yourself? Like, everything he does is so labor intensive. Yeah. Coyote?
0: Oh, yeah, Coyote, the uh, American film. Oh, no, it's from Switzerland. Oh, weird. Why did I think it was American?
4: It feels very American.
0: Yeah. By Lorenz Vondel. Uh, It's about a coyote who uh, his family gets, like, massacred by wolves, and uh, he has this sort of spiritual encounter with a ghostly buffalo. But then sort of turns him like human and he gets his revenge. It's very tough. You kind of need to see it. It's better experienced than explained, I think. But it was crazily done. And I, it's, yeah, I, I loved the watching the visual process behind it the 2D animation, the morphs and transitions, and some lovely visuals. It's, it's a horrible film in the sense of horrible things happen that are very grotesque and visceral. But I'm not one to talk when it comes to those types of visuals. So yeah, some spooky animation films for you guys to all kind of keep your eyes open for. So it was a really nice sort of visit to Cardiff and it was great to sort of check out what Cardiff Animation Nights are up to. Cardiff Animation Festival is actually going to come back, but not this coming year. It's going to come back in 2020. Oh, Um, why? I think because of other stuff that's on their respective plates. Uh, Hmm. I think they wanted to do as good a job as they could and not have it be something that they rushed through so it'll be worth the wait i have no doubt about because the first edition was absolutely so much fun yeah it was great i you know i mean we did a a, the the isle of dogs podcast special. where i think we kind of recorded from cardiff and it was fantastic to i mean in the meantime of course they're going to be carrying on doing cardiff animation nights check them out at cardiffanimation.com lovely people especially as they played my film twice in a row now and uh people were polite about that (laughs) having to see it twice yeah You've been quite busy helping out with a new animation journalism venture that has a bit of a ghostly undertone as they put together their second issue called Marimo.
4: Oh, yeah, I'm an absconder.
0: <laughs> You're <laughs> moonlighting. Merrimo put out... A, I don't think it was intended to be a, a one-off at the time, but it was about a year ago that they put out yeah. the first issue that you had done some writing for. And uh, the second issue... has been a very long gestating thing. What was kind of great about when you would tell me about this venture is that you had, I think, a couple of times mentioned the idea of an animation magazine, but one that kind of had this contemporary magazine approach and vibe and feel, which is... Contemporary sort of, like, lifestyle and culture magazines, they have a very specific kind of approach to presentation and illustration and layout.
4: It's an item to like enjoy and savour and keep and go back and read again. And it doesn't have to be... You'll have some stuff in it that's current, but it's not about being up to date with the news. You're not going to... I mean, there is some stuff from like new films that are coming out and some new exciting things that won't have been reported on yeah. necessarily yet anywhere else. But it's also not about that. It's just about people's musings on animation and it's about enjoying animation as a cultural phenomenon.
0: It's got a good sense of its own identity as well.
4: Yeah, I also like anything that's thematic. So the oh. last one was about home and anything to do with home, and then this one's about phantasmagoria. Yeah. Spooky stuff. Spooky stuff, ghosts, spirits, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's a French thing. Yeah.
0: And yeah, initially it was like French and English, like bilingual, but I guess it's just going to be English now?
4: I think it's, yeah, at the moment that's the plan. I think there there might be potentially... A chance that it might go back to being bilingual eventually, sure. but at the moment the plan is for it to be English.
0: So uh, for this issue, I've actually also helped out a little bit with content and such. There mm. are going to be some interviews with uh, people that hopefully listeners will be familiar with or, or fans of, like people who definitely, you know, have that uh, that real strong grasp of dark, haunting animation, such as the filmmakers we were just talking about. I chatted with uh, Robert Morgan and Rusto. And I believe there are going to be pieces on both of them in this magazine. You've been quite busy, of course, with it. Um can you preview some of the stuff that uh, is going to go in of yours?
4: Um, I, wrote, I wrote a piece about the Uncanny Valley. Mm-hmm. I do kind of a rolling article, like a playlist of films for children, teens and adults yeah. to do around the subject. So maybe opening up new shorts to people that haven't... Maybe they wouldn't have seen. I think I probably actually suggest... There's a man in the woods, because I suggest it for anything. <laughs> uh, I also interviewed uh, the woman who wrote the script for the new Adams Family film, which was exciting.
0: Yeah. So that's um, not the stop motion. It's going to be CG, right?
4: Yeah, unfortunately.
0: <laughs> I really I'm wish sure it was stop oh, motion. it
4: would be amazing. It looks fantastic. From the couple of previews, I've seen, like the single images I've seen, it looks yeah. fantastic. But, you know, I will always wish it was stop motion.
0: The stop-motion Adams Family would have been so great. I remember we're, It was uh, meant
4: to be done by Tim Burton, wasn't it? I'm,
0: I'm sure people would have wanted him to.
4: He was on the list, oh, too. Oh, yeah. I remember and it was going to be Danny Elfman doing the music. It was
0: when I was working for Tina Cluth, who was a big stop-motion, like, legend. I was working on a music video for her. And she was, I think, really keeping it really to the ground about the, the stop-motion Adams Family. Mm. And it was a... At the time, I think she was on Shaun the Sheep.
4: <laughs> Such not the same thing.
0: <laughs> At any rate, as, as wonderful as a stop-motion Adams Family would have been. Uh, it's not to be. CG concept art for this film looks pretty good, though. Adams Family is, a, is an odd IP, because it's like... It, there have been so many versions of it. Mm. And I would say... Probably a far smaller percentage of them have been, like, good... The one that, I I guess, like, the TV show in its day was a huge hit. But I don't... The the cartoon? The show. The live-action show. Like, the sort of Monsters-esque era. Whereas other versions of the show, they would bring it back as a show or an animated show. And those were sort of pretty patchy. The movies were brilliant. Those, if they're just on... Okay, I guess we're watching this now. And uh, I like the old cartoons, the New Yorker cartoons that... Where they're not even really like explicitly a family. It was just called the Adams family because that was the name of the guy who came up with the characters. But they don't really this. They don't have storylines. They're like one-panel cartoons, you know. Mm. But a lot of the other stuff, like TV specials and TV movies, like you'd see, and they kind of really ride on the sort of threadbare coattails of the kookiness and the spookiness and the ookiness and like, oh, well, we're going to have, you know, what are we going to have for dinner? Something gross, no I doubt.
4: Eyeballs
0: stew. Oh, yeah, all right, yeah. we got it. You're kooky and ooky. Whereas the films, I think really put in an g- awful lot of like character work. Yeah. Like exactly. the cat, the dynamics between the characters and the way they kind of, I think reinvented some of the characters and how they relate to one another.
4: Well, they made really iconic people, like, characters that you... Even though I'm not sure if my family has never necessarily sat down and watched the ad, like, they probably would have done at some point. Yeah. But, like, if they see someone, they are like, oh, he's a bit like Uncle Fester, isn't he? Like, that yeah. would... You know, they're very iconic characters, and...
0: Yeah, and in a way, I think maybe now the movie versions are more, like, known as the definitive versions than the old Black and White really version. I only really them. Yeah.
4: And the cartoons... Like, the strips. And I kind of know the old animated series.
0: There were a couple of animated series, I think. There was, a like, a Hanna-Barbera one. I think I know that. That was around, like... And I think they did, like, a Scooby-Doo crossover. Because oh, why not. the f*** not? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I do sort of wonder if... I do kind of wonder, like, with any new version of something I like. Because I did see that... Have you seen the one where, like, they, they tried to bring it back... And it was like, Tim Curry was Gomez. Oh, was that it,
4: after those ones? I thought
0: it was before. Ah, uh, maybe. I saw it on TV once and I was like, oh no.
4: Though it's really funny because if you asked me about it, I'd be like, oh yeah, that sounds great. So, well, on Tim Curry, paper, yeah.
0: Tim Curry would be a great Gomez, but this like just didn't work for yeah, some it reason. it really
4: didn't, and I don't know why. But it was maybe probably was-
0: because of the writing and the direction.
4: Well, the people that are going to play the characters in the new series are really quite odd choices, I think. Or do you have like cast? It's on IMDb. Oh yeah. Let's have a look. And... Look who Uncle Fester is. It's Big Mouth. Ha. Huh. Yeah, this is who's going to be Morticia, which I was.
0: Who's that?
4: Charlize.
0: Charlize Theron is Morticia. Yeah.
4: yeah. yeah. Which I thought was weird, personally.
0: I'm on board with that. Who else is in it?
4: Uh, Oscar Isaac as Gomez. Beth Midler Char- is Grandma, which okay. I quite like. That that kind of makes sense.
0: Yeah is Wednesday.
4: Um, oh,
0: Clary. Moritz yeah, that's, that's okay. good. That's a good choice. Yeah,
4: should be right. I just found that an odd choice. I don't know why.
0: I wonder why Nick Croll is Uncle I Fester. I don't care, but that's amazing.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I hope he, does, he does like it, the Hormone
0: Monster. <laughs> <laughs> Gomez. Oh my God, he will do
4: as well. He only ha- Touch
0: yourself, Gomez.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> We've ruined it. We've ruined the Adams family. <laughs> So we can find out more, I guess, about uh, how the new Adams Family movie is shaping up from the writer, Pamela Petler. And that will be in the new issue of Marimo magazine, which will hopefully be out soon, uh, featuring such squiggly talents as me. And of course, you, Laura Beth should be fun. Yeah, I think that's been a pretty appropriately creepy, kooky, spooky episode of the <laughs> squiggly podcast. Thanks also to Dale and Sylvie the directors of Bone Mother. Before we wrap up, Steve, any news? That's right, I'm back. All the talking about spooky things was
1: too spooky for me, Ben. <laughs> this is not a clever piece of editing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: He was here the whole time. I was
1: here the whole time just listening and watching and lurking. <laughs> yeah, it's, I've just had my head down for the last month working on uh, Manchester Animation Festival. And if you're after day passes or full festival passes, I'm afraid that we've completely sold out of those. However, there is a waiting list if anyone wants to get in touch with the home box office to ring those. But not all is lost because individual tickets are also available for um, individual events. So for something that you fancy going along to see, if you fancy seeing some of the short films in competition, uh, we've got lots of things such as animated answers this year, which is like question time. But instead of self-serving politicians, we can have some fantastic animators and people working in animation answering questions on various subjects. Uh, lots of free events as well. There's a certain quiz that we like to do, isn't there, Ben? Um, hashtag squiz. <laughs> uh, for this for the squiggly quiz. Uh, yeah. uh that's always a good laugh. Um we've got this magnificent cake, we've got Tito and the Birds, we've got Knight of the Trampires with a QA uh with Mike Mort. Um A Man Is Dead is on as well. Um plenty of previews uh and premieres We have uh the making of Becker's Bunch. We also have uh Meets Locksmith animation. So if anyone's interested in what's going on at Locksmith, that's the event for you. Lots of, lots and lots and lots of stuff. I'm not going to read everything out because that would be boring as hell. Uh, So get yourself down to manchesteranimationfestival.co.uk and find out about all the social events uh, and all the other events that are going on at the festival this year. Uh, And you can subscribe to the newsletter as well.
0: Of course, the undisputed highlight of the festivities is that oh-so-beloved tradition of the squiggly screening where I'll be presenting a selection of fantastic new animation work that won't be shown elsewhere at the festival. Keep your eyes on the Math website and our own events page for more info on that in the coming days. It's free, as ever, and always great fun. Hope to see some of you there on Wednesday, November 14th at 5pm in the home event space, leading into the aforementioned Squiggly Quiz at 7 The following day, Thursday the 15th, you should all check out the Student Films Panorama as it features our very own Laura Beth Cowley's short Boris Norris, among some other excellent graduation films. That'll be at 2.20pm in Cinema 2. Plenty of fun for everyone, so uh, come
1: on up to Manchester on the 13th, 14th and 15th of November if you can, uh,
0: and I'll see you there. As far as my own little spooky short Sunscapades is concerned... We previously mentioned the Abattoir Festival that will feature it among its short films lineup. That one will be kicking off on November 13th. Check in with them at abattoir.co.uk for scheduling info that will be coming soon, but I believe it will all be taking place in the Averestworth Arts Centre. Following that, on November 19th, the film will be screening as one of the animated short film finalists at the Rome Independent Film Festival in Italy. That'll be at 4.20pm at the Nuovo Cinema IKEA. For more info on that, visit riff.it. And I think the next outing it'll get will be here in the UK again for the London International Animation Festival. We'll probably put out another podcast between then and now, but just in case, that will be in the Late Night bizarre screening, 9pm on Saturday, December 8th, at the Horse Hospital in London. Very excited about that one. All being well, I'll be there. The website is liaf.org.uk. Well, that's another frightful Halloween podcast done and dusted. We'll see you again soon. If you can't wait until then, be sure to follow us. I'm at Ben L. Mitchell on Twitter. Steve is at Mr. Underscore S. Underscore Henderson. And Laura is at LB Cowley. The magazine is at Squiggly on Twitter, Squiggly Magazine on Facebook, and Squiggly Animation on Instagram, and of course, our site, it's squiggly.com. Don't be a stranger, you hear?